Welcome, I am Jim Barton, and I'm here with... Abigail Conley. And welcome to another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. Um, on this uh, conversation, we're going to actually talk about an issue, um, and one that is becoming high in our minds as we approach the 15th anniversary of September 11th. Um, specifically, I'm thinking about living in a time of what I would call sort of hyper-nationalism, or perhaps hyper-patriotism, if you want. Um, one of our recent scandals is uh, a man who is uh, sitting down during the national anthem as a way to protest the way um, black Americans are treated in the country. Um, has, you know, this is an NFL player, uh, a, a sport that has seen members accused of all kinds of horrible crimes, and that seems to um, not be an uproar, but this gentleman not standing during the national anthem is one. I think about Gabby Douglas, who doesn't put her hand over her heart and and somehow that becomes a uh, you know an, an outrage as it sort of uh, goes through the country um, I, I also am coming to this in the perspective of a person who's a veteran and who finds it really awkward from time to time when veterans are treated somehow as like special super citizens so for example in the entrance of uh, and I honestly don't remember his name it's Kaepernick Kaepernick I'm kind of proud of the fact I don't I don't follow the NFL but um, you know, a whole bunch of veterans have um, come out on uh, YouTube videos and on Facebook posts saying how, you know, we, quote, fought for your right, you know, to sit down and we support you for that. And I think that's great. I do think a person shouldn't be vilified for exercising free speech. But I think it's kind of weird that why does a veteran have special authority? Um, and so that's the era that we live in. And we're going to talk about how do we address that as people of faith. And um, before we jump right into it, though... Um, I'm going to turn it over to Abby to talk a little bit about um, the relationship between church and state, between uh, the kingdom of God and principalities of this world and that sort of thing. So there are, interestingly, along with this whole conversation about the NFL player, people talking more about the early church. Um, and we have to remember that for the first few hundred years, Christianity was illegal. So we have story of martyrs and persecution is because Christianity was illegal and this was a problem in the state. So you have a very weird system where early Christians weren't permitted to serve in the military. If you were there, you stayed there, but signing up and taking those oaths of allegiance was a problem. Um, you have, before Constantine made Christianity legal, people who you know, are in trouble for not sacrificing to gods who are part of the empire. The other thing that there have been historic peace churches, um, like the Quakers, who say no to military service. You also, we come from a tradition that actually took very seriously Jesus' command not to take oaths. So don't swear by the heavens for it's God's um, throne or the earth for it's God's footstool, but yet let your yes be yes and your no be no. So you have people who have, throughout the the entirety of this tradition refused to pledge the flag. Um, in one case, they had to work around the oath of office that the president took because it was a very real, like, I don't take oaths in this way. Um, being sworn into court was another one where, like, okay, you have a way to do this until it fits with your religious ideology. Because these taking oaths, these things that say my first allegiance, my first priority is the nation, have been 
is the nation have been so problematic for Christians. Um, because we do actually say, no, our first allegiance is to God and to what I often call the reign of God because I don't like the masculine language of kingdom. Right. But that there is essentially a different sort of political system that we're participating in. And we're participating in that whether we're in Russia, whether we're in the U.S., whether we're in Zimbabwe. We're participating in this other reign, this other empirical system, political system that's actually what matters and actually where all of our allegiance lies over and above anything else. And if we can just take a step in the very uncomfortable before we move back to talking about church and, and country, also supposed to be above family. Like, um, and frankly, I don't think Jesus is very um, ambiguous on this. I think pretty consistently he says, your faith has to be stronger than familial love. And, you know, that's a very, yeah. that's a very awkward and uncomfortable position um, for many of us um, to, to look at look at the world that way. Yeah, I mean, my mom one day when she was talking about like, oh, what did you do for Mother's Day at church today? And I was like, nothing. And she was like, oh, right, because you know, you're one of those, whatever. And I was like, mom, anyone who does not love mother, brother, or father more than, anyone who loves mother, brother, or father more than me is not worthy to be called in my kingdom. And she was like, right, that's a thing. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's called, that's punishment of being a fundamentalist who raises a daughter who becomes a pastor. Right. That's what happened right there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I think, um, and we've talked about this a little bit about what does it mean. So I was in the military, and I've been um, uh, a Christian my entire life, and I've been a devout Christian my entire life. And, you know, you've asked me before, how do you, rec- how do you reconcile that? And I will tell you honestly, I think I reconciled it by not really seeing it as something that had to be reconciled. So I think that while I was in the service, I certainly... I mean, I certainly was aware that there were things that the United States did that were bad. And I, I, I didn't have a completely Pollyanna view of things. Um, you know, my dad was a Vietnam War vet, and, you know, so I was, you know, raised with the understanding of sometimes your country lies to you, and sometimes um, things are done that are, that are, that your country does things that are bad, right? But I think I had this idea that generally the United States was, was working for the good, and that my commitment to my country was generally in support of those missions for the good. And I sort of saw my faith as my faith is a way to shape me to be a person to be generally working for the good. So I sort of saw those two things as being consistent, and I didn't actually see much of a conflict. But I think, you know, as first off, you learn more about you know where the country is. I mean, I still don't know. I mean, I still think that I think the United States is a country that works in the direction of justice. But I think um, we. Become aware, some of it, me, it's been, you know, recently made more, rel- you know, obvious to me that those sort of various vectors that point in different directions, that in some move in the direction of justice, that the arc of justice is, is, is uh, whatever, is slow but bends towards justice. Um, arc of history is bends slowly towards justice. The arc of the moral universe, the universe is long but it bends towards justice. There it is. Thank you. Okay. Well, in that process. There's a lot of junk, there's a lot of arrows that are going in the opposite direction that average out to maybe generally being that way. And so I think it makes it, um, I don't know, I think now I find it a little bit more of a conflict than maybe I would have at, um, at one point in time. And there are people who are chaplains. Right. And 
Um, I have a lot more hang-ups about the whole Christian and national identity being merged than um, I think people older than me, quite frankly. Uh-huh. I think that is a specific generation. So, you know, I I have known many military chaplains, and to me, that just seems like such a contradiction in terms. How can you be military and a chaplain? How can these two things exist in the same space? Um, because for me, even the the documents you sign, all of those things to even get into the military. Um, seem like a violation of ordination vows. That, uh-huh. no, my first allegiance is to God, and I will uphold these things. Um, so that is a very strange conflict for me. And I also readily admit that, um, you know, institutions have been shifting, and the institutional decline has been a long time coming. And I think I'm one of the oldest people who grew up in a world where institutions just really weren't part of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I know like one Eagle Scout my age. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's not true for you who right. are also an Eagle Scout. Right. Um, I check all the boxes. I'm a veteran. I go to church every Sunday. I'm an Eagle Scout. <laughs> I really should run for office or something. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, this part of the story is that I was a senior in high school when September 11th happened. So you get this very weird moment in your life when you haven't even gotten to vote yet. You're kind of a couple years away from the first time you can get to vote. And all of a sudden, this thing happens where you're wondering, you're waiting for the president to come on television and tell you what happened and what, you're gonna, what we're going to do about it. And at the time, it was kind of a young enough, naive enough that you say, yeah, great, let's do that. Let's nod along and um, let's go with that plan. And for me, not even a lot of consideration about other options. And um, I think there's actually been a lot of problem for me that there was never anything else narrated other than, well, we get even. And we started a war on terror, like the war on poverty before it, this whole thing, like, how do you fight this? Right. What do you do? Right. You put a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of lives into this thing that you don't know, you don't know when you win. Right. Um, which is very different. And so I do you think, hear... do you think I have an adulthood, an entirely September, post-September 11th adulthood? has made you more suspicious of the government? I think it's made me more suspicious of the government. I think it also, I've kind of seen the agenda in a different way. So our default position is military. I mean, our economy is dependent on war. Like, we built it at this point to be that. And there was no discussion in the woods I was in. There was no public discussion for what I saw about. What if we say forgiveness? What if we say, you know what? We could start a war and we could spend billions of dollars fighting something that we'll never know if we beat. Or we could put those billions of dollars into our country. And see, I actually think there was a conversation about that immediately post 9-11. I think immediately after 9-11, people were asking why. Why did they do this? And I think that I think that conversation could have prevailed. It could have won the day, but it was it was drowned out by the conversation of let's get them. Right. You know, um, you know, Toby Keats won. Right. I mean, um, you know that that whole. Um, and I guess it's not surprising 
the Toby Keats won. The Toby Keats of the world always win. Like, I mean, we don't have a history of like, where we don't have a, in world history, we don't have examples of where people said, whoa, 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 this has gotten out of hand. We have to accept some blame for this. And I think what has been scary is, so initially, initially there was kind of the, the patriotic kick in and let's, let's do this. But in the years since, there's just been this escalation, especially of anti-Islam rhetoric. Um, I mean, who are we bombing now? Like, we're not officially in anything, but there's right. still this ongoing, excuse me, deployed soldiers, deployed people. And I don't know how that is. Right. That's right, and we do still use, um, you know, we talk, we hear about drone attacks every once in a while, and although, frankly, under the Clinton administration, we heard about um, cruise missile attacks, right. and it's this sort of same kind of, you know, thing of the distant military, the military that can strike from afar. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And we have a faith where, like, the, the vision of when things are better and when God's reign is coming closer is you're beating swords into plowshares. Yes. You're taking the tools of war and turning them into farming implements. You're turning into things that give people jobs. They keep people home. They have mean people live in community and with their families. And all of these things that just isn't part of our political discourse in any way. It's very hard to talk about what is our faith because the question is, ultimately is, what what does your faith call you to do if you are a member of the empire? Right. If you are a member of the empire, what does your faith call you to do? I mean, Paul renounced the empire, changed his name from Saul to Paul, and, you know, went around spreading a subversive gospel. That's what Paul did. Right. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Jesus told the rich man to give away everything he had to the poor. Um, you know, none of these are ideas that I like so far. I mean, I kind of like... Right, and this uh, is where it's like we're aware enough that it's like, okay, sell everything you have, denounce the empire, go live um, in some African country, and we're so privileged that, like, naming African countries yeah. alone is a problem right. because it's just a continent. Right. But then, you know, we're aware of the problems of colonialism yeah. and all of those things. So, what do we do? I mean, I think, I think that, you know, 18-year-old Jim who signed up for ROTC and then, you know, was commissioned at 22. Yeah, I, I mean, checking on you. It's good, thanks. I think that, um, for me, that was an expression of service. It was an expression of desire to serve something greater. But I think that there's a conflict that we we're pointing at now. And so I wonder about, what do we, how do we, is there a way we can take that passion of youth and direct it, you know, in a different way? And I think that's one of the things that comes from the gospel, right? Is Jesus calling his disciples into being, into coming to do something greater, greater than themselves. Um, and so I think this is just such a mismatch of like mismatch of like, oh, here's a good intention, but oh, this is more complicated, and oh, I don't know. I, I think it's very hard. And again, because Jesus, for the most part, wasn't speaking to members of the empire, right? Um, and you know, it's one of those things where then when you're in the empire. Well, I don't think we should start picking soldiers' funerals again. Right. I, I, I actually do think, you know, when we have discussions about doing some of the programs for veterans and those things, like, yeah, we should do this because 
quite frankly, we bring people home in a state that they end up being incredibly vulnerable in our culture. They end up having a hard time finding jobs. They end up being homeless. So yeah, of course, that becomes, well, you just became a very vulnerable person. Um, of course you should do this. And there is a tradition of the prophet speaking truth to power. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a role that the church needs to continue to play. I think it should make the church very nervous anytime we agree with the government. Yes. Right? I mean, yeah. historically, I that's think, not gone well. Right. And I think if you're liberal or conservative, that's still true. I mean, yeah. if, if we 100% agree with the government as liberals, we need to check what's going on with us that we're right. like, yes, this is automatically good. Because not 100%. Well, so we don't know necessarily what the Bible teaches us, but we know it does teach us not to agree with the government. Right. All right. Is that a good place to stop? That's a good place. All right. Thanks a lot. That'll wrap it up for this week. Um, Until next time, cheers.